Thank you for listening to DesignWise. I'm your host, Jessica Shabbat. Today, our guest is Sam Kachmar, owner of SKA Architects in Cambridge. Sam and his firm are on the forefront of virtual reality architecture, something that really sets their firm apart. During this conversation, we talk about Sam's background swinging a hammer with his dad and how his experiences guided him to build an architecture firm that is client-driven and technologically advanced. So without further ado, let's go to our conversation. All right, hey Sam, how's it going? It's going pretty good, Jessica, how are you? Good. Um, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, glad to be here. So I want to ask you a couple of questions kind of about uh, you, really, and your business. Um, when did you decide that you wanted to be an architect? <laughs> when I was four years old, I think. How did you know? I have no idea. <laughs> my, uh, I brought home that piece of paper from kindergarten that said, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. And mine said, like, I want to be an architect all misspelled with, like, backwards letters and, like, design really strange buildings and stuff like that. Did you know what that meant? Like, what an architect was? I had an idea. Um, just because my mom's an artist and my father was a builder. So I ended up being that sort of mesh in between the two of them. Like, you know, an aspect of creativity, but also a bit of pragmatism of, like, building. And, and I grew up as, like, a gopher on job sites doing a lot of residential construction. So I understood what an architect's role was, I'd say, mm-hmm. pretty early on. And you're pretty handy, right? I did make this table. <laughs> um, it's beautiful, by the way. But uh, yeah, I, I, I have a background in building and I worked doing project management and doing finished carpentry for a while because one of the complaints about architects a lot is that they they don't know how to build or they don't actually know how a building goes together so i wanted to have that idea you know so that i communicate with builders on a day-to-day basis so that our drawings are can be utilized as tools to build not just pretty pictures do you think that that was a big influence from your dad that he kind of put that seed in your head that this is what's lacking in architects? Oh, huge. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that, uh, you know, growing up literally on a job site, you know, going to get coffee for all the carpenters and plumbers and everybody and coming back and being like the kid and then listening to all the trades and the project manager and everybody, a lot of times complain about issues, you know, just venting as people mm-hmm. will but about the issues that the architects weren't seeing or, or weren't going through and everything were super helpful for me because I got to see, oh, okay, they're not thinking about this or like chases or how to fit the mechanical room in this place or whatever, you know, a lot of the nuts and bolts aspects of building that I think when those are folded together well with good aesthetics can make a really nice project. Do you think that that helps that you're able to articulate that to clients too, like how important it is that the architect and the builder have a really good relationship? I think that I'm able to speak contractor and architect of sorts, if you thought of them as like two different languages. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's helped us be successful is uh, with our clients early on in meeting and interviewing in projects, like they see that the people in our firm, we don't just we're not elitist. We don't try to, uh, you know, over-design stuff. We recognize that people coming to us because they have a problem that they want to solve. They have an issue with how they live, and we're trying to be there to help them and be of service to them. And I think that really comes through, and I think that comes through in terms of our knowledge of building as well. So when you kind of, um, my understanding of us talking before is, 
I think you've had a very untraditional path to owning your own architectural firm. Can you talk a little bit about like how what you did after college? Sure. And they were very purposeful decisions as far as I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I had a unique path towards uh, my our architecture firm here just because I kind of went back and forth from the building world to the architecture world to the building world. So, I mean, I grew up, my dad worked at Payne Boucher Custom Builders, and so I, you know, did a bunch of work for them. I worked for them on summers when I was in college. Um, during that time in college and architecture school, um, ran across some good residential architects that I then went to work for. Um, I think my senior year, I worked one week in the architecture firm, one week out in the field on the same project. Oh, cool. Which was great for me. It was yeah. this really cool modern project. It's terrible for my bosses. Because <laughs> every week I was coming back from vacation, essentially. You know what yeah. I mean? Like every week I would be like, so what happened this like you know like yeah. and so it was and then I was gone the next week but so it was a great summer experience for me I think it was I appreciated that my bosses let me do that mm -hmm. um, and I got to learn a, sh a bunch about you can swear yeah okay, <laughs> like I had to learn a you shit caught, ton you about details so. <laughs> um, and so I I just found that invaluable and then out of school I worked at some architecture firms for a little bit here in Boston. I got kind of burnt out doing the 70, 80 hour work week with really terrible pay. Mm -hmm. And then a, um, a friend of mine who had from high school had moved out to Aspen, Colorado. And they were like, hey, you should come out here for a weekend and like come skiing. Well, so I did. And while I was out there, um, Aspen happens to have about, say, 10,000 people in it. It's surrounded by mountains. It's hard to get to geographically. It also happens to have a really large percentage of high-end residential homes owned by, you know, movie stars and princes and mm -hmm. Wall Street CEOs and all that stuff. So all the architecture firms there don't have a good talent pool because there's just a small amount of people. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you can go to the next town over. There just isn't that next town right. over. So the architecture firms there were like competing for people like myself, which was the first time in my life I'd ever had that happen. Yeah. So I moved out there and got to work on these really amazing homes um, out in Aspen from about from 2004 until 2008, and that was a really special time for me. I imagine um, that the site work was also pretty complicated yeah. based on the geography. Yeah, a lot of structural engineering in yeah. terms of putting houses on hills to get really great views, yeah. and then how to move the water around the houses mm -hmm. when it would come. Um, and that kind of practical experience is completely invaluable. It was it was a really good experience in that sense for me. And so that was more architecture side. And then when I came back in 08, I met my wife here in Cambridge. And I moved back here because her family is from here, mine was. And then the Great Depression or Great Recession was hitting. And so I worked in an architecture firm. Everyone was just getting laid off left and right. So I went back into building with my father. Mm -hmm. And I went back to work for Payne Boucher. And was fortunate enough to be on a really big project down the South Shore, was there for two and a half years and got to do project management and hands-on construction and anything you could do to pay mm -hmm. the bills. Um, and I was also at the same time teaching Revit, uh, which is the architecture modeling program that we use to the architect for that project. Oh. As like a way to make a little extra money. Yeah. So I'd work during the day on the project and then I'd go over to the architect's office 
at five o'clock and then tutor their staff in Revit wow. for like two hours. That's amazing. It was draining. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like it paid the bills for that yeah. time, you know, which was really important. Um, and so then from there, I did that for a couple of years with Payne Boucher and then Brooks and Hill Custom Builders um, like recruited me to do some projects for them. And during that time, I was doing some small like architecture projects for like friends and family on the side on like nights and weekends. And that's kind of where SK kind of started or, you know, it started before, but, you know, I kind of was always doing those projects along. Um, and then from there, I worked with Brooks and Hill for a while. And then my wife and I were living in Cambridge and we were done our house. SNH uh, construction figured out that I lived in Cambridge and found me and wanted me to come work for them. They said, you don't have to commute anymore, you can work in here. <laughs> so I went to work with, for them for a while, but then I kept getting more and more architecture projects on nights and weekends. Like but just that, from like word of mouth and friends and... Yeah, just from like friends and family and people were just like, hey, would you consider this? Mm -hmm. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for, that sounds like a neat project. Right. Let me see if we can figure out how to do that. So. Um, Plus, it sounds like even though you like the building aspect, like you were always making your way back to architecture and designing, even though oh, you, know, yeah. you were, as you say, trying to pay the bills. But Yeah, I mean, I was always designing the work site or organizing the tools yeah. somewhere. <laughs> you know, like I, that's just how my brain works. Yeah. And that's, um, so I, mean, I think you kind of naturally gravitate towards those things. But... Um, Ended up back here in Cambridge and doing stuff with SNH and then just sort of so much work kind of kept coming our way mm -hmm. or my way at that time that I ended up shifting down to working four days a week at SNH so I could dedicate more time to SKA and then a couple projects just came along that I really had to decide what you're you know, shit or get off the pot you yeah. know like kind of a you know okay are you gonna really do this or you know you're always gonna work somewhere else and mm -hmm. just do this on the side and so well it's kind of scary to go out on your own a little yeah. bit when you're especially at right after you have a kid yeah yeah <laughs> when you have obligations yeah, yeah no and um, the bills to pay become bigger <laughs> right, right i mean and i i sat down with my wife and we talked about it and she was super supportive she was like i've been waiting for you to do this like i was wondering when you're gonna get around to doing this and i was like confused and I was like really and she was like yeah I think a lot of people thought you're gonna do this like five years ago <laughs> and so you know went off and have had a lot of really good support from the community I've had a really great team um, that we've been able to assemble and is growing more we've got three more people starting in the next month and a half wow that's so, amazing yeah so how many employees how many people are in the firm now uh, there's six people in the firm now. Seven, actually, our bookkeeper became a, um, is joining us now fully. And so three more are coming um, as architects. Wow. Um, two from Syracuse, where I attended school, mm -hmm. and one from uh, Roger Williams University. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. So how long have you guys been, how long have you been out on your own now? Uh, I think it's two and a half years that... Um, I've been doing this full time. Before that, you know, I was doing it nights and weekends. And yeah, I mean, that's a pretty considerable amount of growth in two and a half years. It's a 
You must be a very hard worker. I, I mean, I, I try. That's, the, that's always been the skill, I think, that I've had. And one of the things I credit, um, you know, my father was a really hard worker. Um, you know, and, and working in the trades, you kind of have to, like, either you're good at what you do or somehow you, like, slide along within, like, right. the trades. But I always gravitated towards, like, hard work never freaked me out or scared me. Or, you know, lots of things scare me in life. Hard work, not one of them. Right. So um, I've been lucky to be able to uh, grow a little team and, and have good support and, you know, we've got really great clients and so... Well, I think one of the things that struck me the first time I ever met you or we ever talked at length was you told me that um, in the renovation projects you do, you don't always love, like you would almost rather work within the existing footprint of a house that doesn't need more square footage. Which I think is really kind of, I mean, I'm sure you're not the only architect who feels that way, but it's generally not like the go-to. Most most of the time, the projects we see, you know, as builders are, let's plop a giant addition on the back of this house that's already really big. So mm -hmm. how do you, why is that something that's important to you and how do you go about convincing clients to go that path? Well, around, I mean, here where we do most of our work in the Cambridge area, um, it's a little bit easier to convince people to try to renovate an existing space and or kind of work within some of the footprints, especially with a lot of the historical homes that we have around here, because the zoning restrictions here in Cambridge don't necessarily allow you to put a big addition on the side because you'll go into your neighbor's house or, mm -hmm. you know, there's not a lot of big lots um, left in this area. But even on projects that have the capacity for that, I find that a well-designed space is usually more enjoyable than just a big space just to be big, mm -hmm. right? Like just a, a big open space is just a big open space and if, you, and if you're not willing to design that much of it well and if you're not willing to invest in doing that, then why not do something smaller and do it better? Mm -hmm. Like I, I see people sometimes try to make something bigger or add something or just say they need more space but then if you just make more space you just fill it up with stuff sometimes if it's not intentional in some way if you're not making a space that you want to utilize in your life then I don't always see that as a good investment like we were doing a project around the corner from here where the clients have a really large property but they had actually um, parted ways with their previous architect because they wanted to do a, an addition like that and one of the things that they came to me and said was like, like, look, we have two kids and we're not looking to grow our family anymore. You know, like, you know, we want to renovate this. And I was like, all right, what if we just do, you know, we did the time, we did about a five foot by four foot addition underneath an existing roof, just to make their kitchen a little bit bigger in this mm -hmm. house. And, and that is working for them. You That's know? great. And then, you know, we do a lot of interior renovations and changes to the space, but you just don't need to go big all the time. Right. Well, especially too from a budget standpoint, if you have a fixed budget and you can put more of the budget into renovating more of the house yeah. rather than a giant addition. I mean, wouldn't you want something nice that's like medium sized as right. opposed to like something huge that's kind of not so great or like had to skimp on quality because you didn't mm -hmm. have the budget for it? I mean, that's... I think that's something that's really important to us as a as a firm. We try to do nice work 
And if you know people have budgets and realize and we're like, okay, if you can't afford this, cool. Let's find a way to do this much really well, as opposed to trying to do this much and like failing somewhere. Right. Cool. So, do you want to tell me a little bit about the virtual reality you guys are doing? Sure. It's cool. Yeah. No. It's that has been a game changer for us. I mean, we we do all of our projects. We we model everything in BIM and, and building information modeling and. One of the, the tools that we can do for that is we can export those models into VR. And so we've set up, we've kind of invested in a pretty heavy duty like workhorse desktop station that, that runs all of our sort of, all our VR demos. And so many times with clients, I sit in this conference room and I look at a set of plans and I'm talking to people and you can see when people don't understand what you're talking about. And sometimes it feels like you're speaking a foreign language when you're like, okay, here's the layout for your kitchen and here's how this room is gonna go and here's how this is. And you're dealing with really smart people, you're dealing with really intelligent people, but a lot of people just don't understand floor plans and sections and, and that's totally okay. They just, just like you and I don't understand certain languages. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, it's always been really frustrating when I know I have an intelligent person who kind of knows what they want, but they can't understand how I'm talking to them. Mm -hmm. And so what we found our VR studio does to a, to a person, we, every person that has utilized it has been able to give us feedback on their project in ways that they just never could on paper, right? Like people have been like, oh, this is how, you know, the island is gonna feel next to the kitchen. This needs to be wider or like, oh, I really like how this arch goes back this way. I, I love this war. I hate that window. What's it doing there? Get it out of there. And like, just the, the engagement and the feedback that we get from our clients on that has been invaluable to the way that we design. Do you think that people can actually feel how big the space is with the virtual reality? Like they get a really good sense of scale? Because I think, mm -hmm. speaking to your point, that's a lot of times people have a very hard time with scale. Yeah. Even if they can read floor plans, they don't get it. Virtual reality makes our projects boring in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know about you, but I've had many of those meetings in the past where at some point a client, you know, project's getting done, they go, oh, that's what that's going to look like. <laughs> you know, like, and you since we've had our VR studio, it is... You know, out in the field, you know, our builders go through there, they send a site super through, so then they understand the plans in a different way. People go, yeah, that looks just like what it did in the VR, you know, like, and, and it's, it's great. You know, it, it just makes everyone be on the same page and it's such a good communicative tool for us that I just don't see how we would ever not use it. Do you use it for every project now? Yep. Wow. It's so how standard. much extra time does it take, or you guys just really good at it now, where there's a certain level of, where you've gotten like a rhythm and an expertise that it doesn't mm -hmm. take maybe as much time as it would somebody who's it's, starting over? No, it, it takes extra time for us, mm -hmm. but I think for us that's, it, it's worth its weight in gold in the sense that the best thing we can get from our clients is good communication. When we get feedback from our clients, whether they like something, don't like something, whether they want something adjusted, change, the more we can have that as an engaged process, 
the better we can design a space, a house, an addition, or whatever it is that we're doing for them in a way that suits their life, in a way that they'll be happy with, right? Because at the end of the day, it's not your house, it's not my house, it's yeah. theirs. And I want our clients to be happy with their space. So like, do we want to like it? Yes. Do we want it to be designed beautifully? Of course. But sometimes somebody has a reason for why they want a certain thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're designing one house for a client right now that has gets packages delivered a lot. So we designed a special little thing for UPS to like drop packages in because it's not the safest thing. You know, like you can't just leave them on the on the front porch. I actually think that's going to become more of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> in the Amazoning of the world. Yeah. 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 Like the guy's a consultant. He travels a lot during the week, and mm-hmm. he was like. Look, I get a lot of packages and usually I come home on a Friday after being, you know, in other countries or being whatever else and I kind of want that stuff to be there, not have those notes on my door that say, drive down to the UPS store and go pick this stuff up. So, I mean, like, things like that that we're able to work into people's lives, I just think are are good tools, Mm -hmm. you know, to help serve our clients. Have you had anyone yet that saw something in um, the VR system? and liked it and then it was actually constructed and didn't think it was mm-hmm. like they didn't like it as much translated into real life or has it been pretty consistent not yet yeah um, i'm sure we will so i mean i'm sure that'll happen at some point where people are human and they change their well, mind I mean, your ratio for you know that i changed my mind or i didn't know it was going to look like that is probably decreased to less than 10 percent right <laughs> i mean and our our sample size on that because we've only really had the um the VR studio functioning for about whatever it is, six months or so. So there's a limited um, sort of mm-hmm. size or sample size of that. But I'm sure that'll take place at some point. But so far, I mean, everyone that has, every single person on every single project that's done it has been like, oh, I get my, they've been more engaged in the project, they've been more engaged in the design process, and they've in some ways I think felt more empowered in the decision making because sometimes people will look at a a stack of specifications and a stack of plans and again they don't always fully understand or don't care about it because it's not as fun the VR stuff is fun too people bring their kids yeah I was going to say it's kind of interesting too because I think sometimes people um, in our profession almost want to go back to the days where customers had less information like now they have so much information yeah. and there's so many pictures and yep. so much interest that's not where things are going well as you actually have taken the opposite yeah. approach like I'm going to not only I'm not going to uh, I'm going to take that I'm going to double down and make it even better and give them so much information that there can be no uh, room for yeah. confusion right it's great I mean it, it, it's, it's very just... forward thinking for us, it's been really beneficial. I mean, it, we use it in-house. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll be working on a design project and one of my staff will be, you know, drawn through a model and then either myself will go through the VR and they'll take notes and I'll go, okay, this over here, that window needs to move down or this mm-hmm. needs to go this way or, you know, this floor looks terrible, we need to adjust it, you know, and we try to cycle through those iterations in-house so that then when our clients come in and go through that process, they're able to really just look at the design, which is exactly what they're paying us to do. Right. So, I mean, I think we, we use it in-house and as a tool here, and we've had really good results with that as well. It's a good teaching tool, mm-hmm. for especially for our junior staff, who sometimes when I'm trying to show a symbol on a plan, they don't always get it, but 
when you can show them in VR, be like, see this, this is, this needs to be this way and why, and they go, oh. Are, are the younger staff that you have coming out of college, are they being taught in, in this type of way where it's more computer-based? I mean, I know it's like drafting and stuff like that, but, mm -hmm. or is it architecture still, architecture school still trending towards a more, um, we'll say old school approach? where it's all hand-drawing and theoretical. I think most schools do a fair amount of computer-based drawing. I think for us, the most important thing when we're interviewing people for staff, it's a plasticity of mind, I guess would be what I'd say, because the, the computer programs and the, the way we draw our community is always going to change, mm -hmm. right? Like, what we utilize now will be different five years from now and, and so on and so forth, but I try to find people that fit within our company culture and try to find people who are willing to, or I guess people who are willing to do different things or try different things outside of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. If somebody is dead set on like, even if they're a great drafter or whatever else, but they're like, this is how I do it and I don't have flexibility, I don't think they're a good fit for us. Because I think one of like these, uh, these photos back here behind me are these drawings, I guess. One of our staff, Michaela, made these, and I, she did not like bright colors. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, we're going to do these pictures of our projects as like Christmas gifts for our clients. Mm -hmm. And I was like, let's make them like all geometric and fractal and stuff. And, and she was like, I'm not sure. And like, but she tried and she did these really bright colored things. Our clients loved them. Many of them hung them up in their houses. People come into the office and ask if they can like buy, you know, like they get complimented <laughs> a lot. Cool. And I think she took that risk to get out of her comfort zone. And I think most people in our office, when we challenge each other a little bit to do different things, are willing to take that, that leap of faith with each other. And I think that's an important thing for our company. If we don't have that, then I don't really want that, those kind of people right. here. So what do you think the future of SK is? Like, where do you think you're, like, going as a company? Um, I think we're, you know, going to be a Cambridge-based architecture firm that hopefully will be very technologically savvy and, you know, continue to evolve with this industry. And, you know, I think we'll, we'll keep growing a little bit. I mean, we're going to hit 10 or 11 people in the next couple months. And I mean, I, I'd expect we'll probably end up at 20 or 25 people maybe in another like year or two. I mean, I, we've been turning away a lot of work, mm -hmm. which seems odd to me because some firms seem slow and I don't understand exactly why, or I don't understand exactly why we're getting as many opportunities as we're getting. And I feel really fortunate and like, uh, but like, We've had to we refer out a lot of work right now, and I, I think there's opportunity. There's more opportunity for us to continue to grow, mm -hmm. and just try to do that intelligently and prep for the next recession. Do you do you think that there's going to be a point where um, you will get called to consult to just do the VR stuff, or like say projects that are, yeah. you know, in San Francisco? Um, yeah, that's yeah. That's possible. San Francisco, or yes. China, like San Francisco, college. yes, because there's a Boston to San Francisco connection mm -hmm. with all like the tech stuff. Some of our clients have like moved here from San Francisco or moved back. 
So in that capacity, I'd say yes, or, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know exactly where we're going to go with everything. Yeah. I think one of the funnest things about running our company is that we've been able to develop different things or go different routes. And we've had really trusting clients who have been like, yeah, let's try that, you know, like, and, and they've given us the ability to pursue these things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's just really fun. Well, it's really exciting hearing about what you're doing and talking to you. I appreciate you giving us an inside look at what's going on here. Of course. Um, and I think that's all for today. Cool. Well, great to get to talk with you. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This podcast was sponsored by Hawthorne Builders. Make sure to follow us on all social media platforms. Until next time.